0: I love the poetry of Mary Oliver. I appreciate Dan sharing that with us this morning. It is an appropriate introduction to the sermon. What is your place in this world? I got up this morning and had to put on long sleeves to go out and walk the dog. It was 59 degrees, wow. Didn't didn't that feel great this morning? Fall is here. Now, we'll have some more hot days, but it was wonderful to have fall this morning. Um, We begin a new fall worship series, and uh, throughout the fall, Amy and I will both be preaching short sermons. Let's call them homilies, two short homilies each Sunday. Um, We've done this a couple times before, and you have seemed to respond well to the different voices there. And so we'll do it throughout this fall in a series that, that we're calling On the Journey with Moses and Jesus. We're using lectionary texts as we usually do. I'll be reading from the Old Testament text um, beginning with Exodus. We follow a lot of these texts through the book of Exodus. And then Amy will be using the Gospel text from Matthew. And so each Sunday we'll be on the journey with Moses and Jesus. We want to spend this fall looking at the journey of faith God's call on our life. We'll look look at our heritage from the Old Testament and consider our Christian distinctiveness, our Christian distinctions in the gospel. And today we begin by asking a fundamental, foundational question: What makes us different? I'll say a little more about this text in the sermon. So let me just read it from you. But I'll remind you that the people have been in Egypt. Um, and Moses has come to call them out of bondage, out of Egypt. Um, it's that great story that we all know so well with Moses calling the people out and they go and then they wander in the wilderness. So here we are, Moses is calling the people out of, of Egypt. And this is the last of the plagues that God has brought um, before the Pharaoh uh, uh, agrees to allow the people to go. And so it's this final night and it's the story of Passover. Passover. If you don't know the story, go pick up your Bible and read from Exodus. Start uh, at the beginning and, and pick that story up because you, uh, need, you need to know that story. So here we are at, at the night of the Passover and we pick up the reading from Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the 10th of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. Those instructions that Moses gives to the people for the night become instructions that they echo as they develop a ritual meal called the Passover celebration, that Jews still celebrate to this day. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. You've heard the ancient story. My sermon is entitled It's okay to be different. I fell in love with Furman University at summer band camp too many years ago to count. I was a rising 8th grader and those two weeks changed me. My music found a new trajectory and I met a huge set of friends that I kept up with throughout my high school years and into college. One of those friends was a violinist. And though I have nothing but good to say about him this morning, because our sermons are now broadcast via podcast, just for the sake of being extra careful, I want to call him Gerald for you this morning. Gerald was, let me just say it, odd. Everyone knew it. A loud shock of red hair covered a brilliant brain and fingers that nimbled their way along the neck of his violin All of those digits in Gerald's IQ made him slightly awkward in social settings, but there was something curiously magnetic about him. Even the cutest girls at band camp seemed attracted to his quirky personality. I watched Gerald with fascination for five years and then found him also sitting in McAllister Auditorium when we entered Furman as freshmen. The next four years, we kind of danced around each other, really more as longtime acquaintances than friends, but my fascination with him grew. He never stopped being different. He saw things other people didn't see, took delight in experiences that eluded the rest of us. Sometimes I would see Gerald standing out on the field that we called Teak Beach, staring into the sky. Now, the TKE fraternity had staked their claim to sunbathing and frisbee rights on this particular field. But sometimes in the broad daylight of a firm afternoon, Gerald would be standing there, his hands cupped around his eyes, staring at the sky. Sometimes he would point. I would see him standing there. If you ask him, he would excitedly tell you that the stars are there even in the daytime. We just can't see them because of the sunlight, unless you look hard enough, stare long enough, and then, even at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you can catch a little twinkle. So Gerald said, I've never been able to see the stars in the daytime. In the fall, I would also find Gerald standing on one particular sidewalk under one particular tree. That red maple burned with the most brilliant color on campus, most folks just passed by. But multiple times each fall, I remember observing him standing, gawking upwardly, a childish grin on his face. It was like the most amazing thing he'd ever seen. Weird, huh? Just like Gerald. And then one day I stopped under that tree and I looked around carefully to make sure that no one was watching me. And then I looked up into that red maple tree OMG, like the most amazing thing I had ever seen. And I never passed again without slowing down and looking into the limbs of that red maple. When we left Furman, Gerald got a PhD in computational chemistry, whatever that is. And he spent the rest of his life assisting pharmaceutical researchers by writing computer programs that could predict the shape of molecules. And then five years ago, far too soon, he died in the backwoods of the American West. He had hiked the highest mountain peaks in a number of U.S. states and was on another backcountry outing, living his large, different life when tragedy struck. Gerald was, pick your word, odd, weird, strange, quirky, awkward. I think I have it right to say that he knew he was different and he never needed not to be. And I wanna to say to any of our youth who might be listening today, if you are different or whatever that means, if everyone else thinks you are too smart or too slow or too small or too artistic or the opposite of all those things, if you've got different taste in music, or friends, or clothing, or whom you choose to love, let me encourage you to live into that. Whoever you are, whatever you are, it's okay to be different. In fact, it's grand. Why be the same as everyone else if you have the courage to be different? I wanted to say this to our young people because what I have found to be true is that if you can make peace with being different now, you will one day meet grown-up friends and they will be able to tell you that it's okay not to look and act just like everybody else does. When my friend Gerald died, he was pretty much rocking life. A lot of those people who had made fun of him for being dorky or nerdish or a geek when they were younger Well, a lot of those folks would love to have had the money that Gerald ended up making with his brain. The freedom that he ended up enjoying, traveling the backwoods of the world, and the joy that he still got from playing his violin, it's okay to be different, I promise. It's okay to be different. In fact, as I reminded you the last time I preached, we are supposed to be different People of faith are supposed to be different than the rest of the world. We're supposed to think differently, act differently, talk differently, love differently. It's okay to be different. Today's text from the book of Exodus is not the record of the beginning of the Jewish people. For that, we would have to go back several hundred years to old Abraham and Sarah When we come to today's story, God had long before offered an invitation to covenant. And Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, well, those three had already been named the patriarchs of the Jewish people. And Jacob's 12 sons had already been called the 12 tribes of Israel. But today's story doesn't mark the beginning of the Jewish people, but it may mark the beginning of the religious expression Of the Jewish people. The Passover ritual was born in the remembrance of that fateful night in Egypt. As the people remembered, as they tried to continue to remember, they began celebrating the Passover meal as a religious ritual. This was the first ritual. And then came all those kosher laws, what to eat, what not to eat. And then the religious rhythm of Sabbath observance and the annual festivals. And then came the instructions for ethical living, contracts and commitments, how to solve controversies. In all these things, Ten Commandments, 613 laws to guide every aspect of life, the Jewish people were different. They still are. The disciplines of their religious life called Jews to be willing to stand up, to stand out. Being different means being confident, committed, courageous, even in the face of unceasing persecution. And the calling on Jewish life has extended even to non-religious Jews. More than 20% of all Nobel Prizes across all Nobel categories have been awarded to Jewish recipients, even though Jews represent less than two-tenths of 1% of the world's entire population. The discipline of Jewish life, a life marked by ritual and religion. This is our heritage from the observance of Passover and Sabbath and 10 Commandments come the ritual expressions of Christian life. Among them, our celebrations of baptism and communion, marriage and ordination, the practice of financial tithing, observance of the seasons of Advent and Lent and Eastertide, the rhythm of marking out time on Sunday for study and worship. It's okay to be different. We are called to be. You see, it would be okay to say to your friends, Yeah, we'd love to come to the lake. We'll join you just after church. Or, We'll see you at the Panthers game today, but we'll have to skip tailgating. Or, No, we don't need a bigger house. We've made a financial commitment to tithe. Or, Thanks, but I don't drink. Or, No thanks, I've had enough to drink. Or, I wish you wouldn't tell that kind of joke in the office. Well, I think you get the picture. It's okay to be different. I used to make a broad distinction between religion and spirituality. And I thought of spirituality as more important. Those internal things that are really important about what Jesus taught us. Conversely, I I heard the word religion as a kind of shorthand for the often hollow, too often abused externals, those things that make a lot of religious people seem pious and self-righteous. But more and more, in an acrimonious world, a society bent on self-gratification, a culture increasingly disconnected from God and the things that really matter, more and more, I'm drawn to that word. There's nothing wrong with being religious but it will make you different and it's okay to be different may it be so
1: so russ took you on a journey with moses the people of israel i want to take you on a little journey with jesus about the same topic before i read the text from the gospel of matthew today the 18th chapter I want to tell you that sometimes you might hear people call the text that, from Matthew getting churched. When I read this passage from Matthew's gospel in just a minute, you're going to cringe a bit. I know I do. Russ has just told you about the development of the uniqueness of the community of the Jews, which was solidified by the occurrence of the Passover. That sense of community has withstood the test of time. Now as Jesus enters the scene, a shift begins. Some understand him to be the one for whom they've been waiting, and others saw him as yet another prophet that took hold more than most. Those that saw him as the Messiah began to form a different community, some from the Jewish community and some from outside that mainstream. And lo and behold, a new community began to form. The Greek word for this new community is ecclesia. That word is used 116 times in the New Testament, but only three times in the Gospels. And all three of those times it's used in the Gospels, it's used in Matthew's Gospel, and two of those three times are in our text for today. Ekklesia is translated church. It literally means called out, set apart, to be different. So this new group, this new unique community, this different Ekklesia, the new church, well, that church that Matthew is talking about is nothing like what we experience today as church. This was really more of a communal community where they honestly had everything in common and pooled their resources and their lives to live in a countercultural way. A way. This way of Jesus was radical and revolutionary. This way could even be considered dangerous. If you'll remember, the way of Jesus got him tortured and executed. And these folks were saying they were going to choose to follow his same path. Now let that sink in. It's not the best marketing strategy for the current church. Join us. You could be tortured and put to death. So, You can see that that kind of church, well they relied on one another. They had to trust each other. They had to depend on each other. Their very lives were at stake for the kind of community that they formed. Now, Just preceding what I'm about to read to you, I want to tell you two things that Jesus was talking to them about. He was explaining what it means to be the greatest in the kingdom, and he said, the greatest in the kingdom is like a child, someone with no power and no standing in the community, not like children today. Our whole lives swirl around children today. No, back then, children were not seen and not heard. They were nobodies. People would have been dumbfounded to hear Jesus say that the greatest in the kingdom was a child. And then he tells them a parable about lost sheep. That a good shepherd would leave 99 sheep to find one that is lost. At this point, their jaws would have been on the ground. Risking an entire flock of sheep for one measly sheep? You've got to be kidding And then we arrive at our passage for today where he tells them about forgiveness and what it will take to live in community. He describes in great detail how the ecclesia is supposed to handle conflict and disagreement if they are to survive. Remember, they are dependent upon each other in every single way. Without each other, their new and unique community will not survive. And here's what Jesus says to them. It's called getting churched. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take two, Take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the whole church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, let them be an outsider. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. That's the power of community. One of the hardest things about doing church during COVID is missing this. I had underestimated how important it is to just be together. I took for granted seeing your faces. I can't tell you how quiet it is in here, especially when I say something funny. Nobody laughs anymore. They're chuckling a little bit, but it's not the same as having you all in here. And I will confess, I fear that you will not come back. I fear that you've grown comfy and cozy with pajama church, brunch church. Watch it when you want to watch it, church. As if church is something that you go to. No, friends. Church is not where we go. Church is who we are. And I very much look forward to when we can be the church together instead of being the church apart. But either way, we are still church, ecclesia. We often talk about church as a community of faith. Do we really mean that? Do we really act like it? Do we really live like it? I hope so. I think so, for the most part. So let us not stop trying and let us not stop working at it. How many times have you heard someone quip, well, where two or three are gathered, with the -the fill-in-the-blank understanding that their God is also? I've heard it all my life, and I find myself saying it all the time. It's usually said in the context of when a small crowd gathers, perhaps smaller than we had hoped for, or smaller than we had planned for, So a smaller crowd gathers, and we use the phrase to remind ourselves that the size of the group does not matter. You know where two or three are gathered. But in its original context, two or three gathered is about dispute, disagreement, and discord. The context of two or three are gathered is about conflict. It really doesn't translate very well into our modern-day church communities. We are not so dependent on each other. We don't literally hold each other's lives in our collective responsibilities. As one commentator put it, this is how we treat church disagreements and disputes these days. So if the text were written today, this would be more accurate to how it's actually done. If another member of the church sins against you, just talk about them behind their backs. If another member of the church sins against you, just call a bunch of people in the church to complain about them. You may even want to start a letter-writing campaign against them. Y'all, this actually happens in churches. If another member of the church sins against you, just send them a nasty email and my favorite and probably the truest if we can be honest. If another member of the church sins against you, just don't say anything. Avoid them, unfriend them on Facebook or block them. And if you can't avoid them on Sundays, well, just leave the church. Here's what is supposed to make church a new and unique community of faith. We are to practice forgiveness and conversation and mercy and listening and speaking truth in love. Matthew outlines a pretty intense process for resolving conflict. Matthew is known for his legalism and sense of pretty strict rule following. We can roll our eyes and throw up our hands and say this is too much and way too prescribed. Go to the person by yourself. If not satisfied, take one or two more with you. Still not satisfied, take it to the whole church. That's a lot. That's a lot. Or we can see it as the lengths to which we should go to try to reconnect. David Luce in his commentary on this says when it comes to ruptures in the community you don't give up or at least you try everything you can think of before letting go he reminds us that community is messy community is also important and it's the place where god is at work i'll confess as i've worked on this sermon this week I've thought of a couple of folks I need to practice this with, a couple of people I need to go to and make things right. Can you think of someone that you need to go to to make things right? Jesus says essentially that being a member of a church means that you have responsibility. If your sheep gets lost, you don't look for an hour and call it quits. You get out there and you find that sheep. If your brother or sister sins against you 77 times, that's how many times you forgive him or her. And though this text is about church, broaden your horizon just a minute and look at your families. Look at your communities. Look at our nation. This goes for all relationships, I think. The text says where two or three are gathered in conflict, in discord, in discomfort. Where two or three are gathered, it doesn't say where two or three agree. But where two or three are gathered, we love, we offer grace, we share joys, we carry each other's burdens, we study, we cry, we pray, we forgive. We share lives in all of our vulnerability and in all of our brokenness and in all of our truest selves. This is hard work, friends, and well worth all of our efforts. There is a clause in there for when we cannot work it out, because sometimes we simply can't. Grace abounds. Rick Morley is the blogger that came up with that list of how it really works in churches these days, and he ended his blog with this. Forgiveness is meant to be at the core of who we are. And to be honest with you, if we can't do it between ourselves and the church, how can we ever be agents of reconciliation in the world? Right here, Jesus gives a clear blueprint for how our communities might be holy places where holy relationships might flourish. And it's something we need to practice until it is so ingrained in our DNA, we can't imagine living another way. Because for Jesus, there isn't another way. Where two or three are gathered. We miss you. And we long for gathering. And yet this is still church because church is who we are, not where we go. I hope today you feel like you've been churched. May it be so. Amen.